Hello, everybody. We're back talking about the cherry orchard. And today I'm with my brother-in-law. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, Judy. My name is Roy Grant. I was married to Jamie Emerson, the oldest daughter of John and Mary, Judy's older sister. We all lost Jamie to cancer six years ago. I, uh, I have two daughters, Ellen Persicky and Melissa Cole, and I have five grandchildren, and I live in Hamilton, Montana. Great. Thank you, Roy. So how far away is Hamilton from the cherry orchard? It's about, uh, I have to drive, I'm south of Missoula. I have to drive north and get through Missoula, which is a little slow. So it's about two and a half hour drive. Okay. Roy, could you talk about maybe your first memories of going to the cherry orchard and where you lived at the time? Well, I'll give that a shot. My memory is gets kind of vague going back that far. So <laughs> what I recall after listening to some of your other conversations with people that, mm -hmm. that um, John and Marion, my father and mother-in-law, bought that property in 1983. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's 37 years ago. Wow. And at that time, um, Jamie and I and our daughters lived in Libby, Montana, which was west of Kalispell, where your parents lived at that time. Yeah. So our drive from there was about two hours to the, to the cherry orchard. What I sort of recall is once they purchased it, we went there and looked at the property with them, although my memory is not real clear, but I'm sure we went right over and could see where it was, walked around. Mm -hmm. And do you remember any, I know that you're worried about your memory, but do you remember what you saw or um, dad thought that they uh, closed or he told, told us that they closed finally in October of 1983. So by then it would have been fall. Cherry trees might have had, uh, hadn't lost their leaves yet. And uh, there was just two structures on the property at that time. Well, I don't recall what the cherry trees looked like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, some of them are much younger than they are now, so they were undoubtedly not quite as old and, and big. The structures at that time, I don't recall what they would have been other than, the, I don't know, the pump house? But the pump no, house, yeah, the pump house. I think mm -hmm. that was probably there, and I, so I don't recall what else would have been there. The other one was the little cabin that's down by the old Fire oh, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now you remind me. Yes. Yeah. Down next to the lake where it, it's a storage place now. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. When you went from um, Libby to Flathead Lake, would you have had some kind of, would you have stayed there for the weekend with, with mom and dad? Or would you have driven back and forth to Libby in a day? Well, you know, for the first few years, your parents lived in, in um, Kalispell until the house got built and the garage and then they moved there. So our, our trips to their place in Kalispell or to the orchard was primarily just to visit them. We, we were pretty close to your parents. So we would come over fairly often on weekends, summer or winter, 
And if they happened to be down uh, at the cherry orchard when they'd move their trailer down there, we would come and spend time there too. We had a um, a Coleman pop-up trailer and we would bring that and, and stay in it. I remember that. Eventually we left that trailer there. It <laughs> kind of became a permanent part of the orchard until it got dilapidated. I remember that my boys, I think I mentioned this when I was talking to Steve Quarles, that our boys stayed in the tent pop-up trailer with Jack and Casey. So Andrew and Isaac and Jack and Casey would sleep there sometimes. And Steve remembers sleeping in that pop-up trailer. I I remember the boys staying there also. (laughs) When you first uh, came to the lake, then shortly after that, dad recalls that they put in a septic system and that the trailer that he and mom stayed in would have been located pretty close to where the garage is now, right at the bottom of where the cherry trees are, where the orchard is. Do you remember that? Do you remember the trailer that they stayed in? And then, of course, the septic system being put in. You know, Judy, I don't recall the septic system being put in. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely remember the trailer. It seemed like it had, was located more than one place in the orchard oh. during those early years, but I don't recall the septic system. Okay. And after that, the little shed that Grandma Bell stayed in was built. Were you involved in that? So that would have been in the late, probably 1985 or 1986. So I, I'm pretty sure what you're referring to is what we at that time called the me house. Is that right, Judy? Yes. Do you know why you called it the me house? Well, and I do recall, I can't, you know, remember exactly how long we, we would come over, but I do remember helping John build that building. You know, uh-huh. it was fairly straightforward and simple. And our girls, Melissa and Ellen, then... <laughs> would come, when we would come, they liked sleeping in that. So I, I recall the M-E, me, referring to Melissa and Ellen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> you may have heard Nancy and I talking about that. And we thought that maybe Jamie had engineered that name. Um, it, it, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> and dad says now today, he says, you know, I never called it the me house. So I... <laughs> I don't know if he remembers that we, the rest of us did, but he yeah, did. It, it was called that for a while. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, what about then, um, dad, dad talks about um, working on the me house with um, his, one of his friends. Oh. It was Ruth and Chuck. Chuck, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Ruth and Chuck Kern remembers the me house with Chuck. And uh, it was something that they did together. And I don't have an exact year for that yet, but I'm going to guess it was soon after the first summer they were there. And uh, he remembers that they put a bathroom in there and that it was also a bedroom when she was there for Grandma Belle. So she, do you remember the kitchen platform that was built? Yes, <laughs> that's had various names and descriptions. Yes, um, but I do remember that it was a a platform that could be enclosed, and it had some kitchen facilities in it to, to do some food preparation. It wasn't very big. 
and I, I think I think I heard Nancy on the call referring to, I think a common memory those of us that were had when we were there is how bad the weather was. It was cold. We were all in coats and blankets and huddled around on that little platform. Yeah, um, he remembers that Roy as being more than one summer, and I don't. I remember just that one summer, but I I don't remember a lot of things either. So. Well, I, I can't recall how many summers that would have been. Uh, I do help remember helping. I don't know if I was there to, on the beginning to help build it, but doing some finish work on it, it had, you know, John had designed it so that it could be enclosed with panels. Mm -hmm. and so I do remember helping do some of that, but mm -hmm. I don't know how many seasons. <clears throat> it was around, yeah. And then do you remember deconstructing it? I don't, no. So I think sometime around 1990, if I have it right, it was deconstructed so that in the winter of 9091, the foundation, or maybe it was a little bit before the winter, uh, the foundation of their house, of mom and dad's house was built. And so that would have started so that by the summer of 1991, dad essentially enlisted everyone who was there at the cherry orchard to help work on the house. Do you have any memories of, of working on the house, the main house? Yes, I do. Uh, but I don't remember the years and the time frames. Uh, I, re I recall being there during the excavation for the foundation and the footings. Oh, wow. I don't recall if I was there the day that the concrete was poured. But backing up a little bit, what I remember is your dad wanted to design that. John wanted to design that house. And if I remember right, he took a class or mm -hmm. more than one in Flathead Valley College mm -hmm. on drafting and designing. So he had his own drawings and he pretty, he did all of the construction pretty much with help yeah. that, um, that he could do without hiring it out. And yeah. so then I do remember being there then during the, the framing. I don't think I did too much on the framing. I remember helping with wiring. I remember helping put up siding, but here's a common memory. So Jim and I and your dad were working, doing, working on the roof, and he had ordered the exact amount of roofing to go on that roof, and there wasn't much slack. He was on the roof installing, and Jim and I were on the ground getting his orders on cutting to fit the next piece. For some reason, must have been some miscommunication <laughs> or misunderstanding, Jim and I cut it too short. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were both in big trouble. But, of course, I could blame Jim and he could blame me. Well, that, that made it easier. <laughs> but I'm sure your dad and Jim will remember that very well because it was a – and so, fortunately yeah. – we were able, he was able to, with our help, to piece it around the skylight and come uh -huh. with enough material so it, um, it got finished. So I, do it, recall, I do recall that. I do remember hearing that story, too. So I'll have to get both Jim and Dad to tell me that story. And when you talk about Jim, it's Uncle Jim. That's my dad's younger yes. brother. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is a metal roof, right, Roy? Yeah, yes, it is. Uh-huh. They're panels of a certain width, uh, okay. three to four feet wide, and and then cut to a certain length to fit to fit the lengths coming down from the the peak down to the 
to the eve. I see. Okay. Wow. When you remember the house and, of course, then the garage, and one of the things I think you might have been involved in is the building of the cherry stand. You know, I don't think I, I think your dad built that initially by himself. But over the years, I'm, I can recall repainting at least twice myself <laughs> and also then repairing some of the uh, plywood panels. Even last summer, I, I replaced one side of it, brought up some plywood. So I have worked on it. Yes. Wow. Okay. And, and helped dismantle and, and put it together many, many times. Many times. <laughs> Well, I remember that you and Jamie were usually the the workers that came to the orchard. And I know you came often, but usually you came at the beginning of the season before any of the guests came from other parts of the, the country. Uh, you would get there and get the everything ready for the influx of visitors. Do you remember that? Uh, yes. So I, I'm reti- I retired full-time from, from the Forest Service um, 18 years ago. So prior to that, our visits to the lake were as often as we could on weekends and uh, when your folks were living there to visit them. Mm-hmm. Then during the uh, gathering in, in July, we would come as much as we could to visit, to, to visit the relatives. That, that was our opportunity to visit them. Once I retired, then I still worked part-time and I was on call for other things and had some part-time jobs, but we were much more able to stay there for longer periods. And so you're right, there, there's a, before the family gathering, which as people have said, can be 40 plus to 50 people at a time over, mm-hmm. you know, over two to three weeks um, coming and going. So a lot of work getting ready and a lot of work, uh, everybody's gone. So we would yeah, definitely come and help 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 get that all done and and then finish it. Putting things away, putting yeah, getting everything cleaned up and put away and yeah. yeah. I think too, I think of um Jamie and of course you too, Roy, but Jamie I can think of as sort of trying to imagine how to streamline and make certain processes uh more efficient and easier for people. And um, think of her as basically, even when my mother was, you know, in her capable years, always trying to figure out different ways to promote the cherries, you know, different signs and putting them, you know. Yeah. And, and I think we would all recognize that Jamie um, was good at being in charge and liked to be in charge. (laughs) (laughs) And, but in a good way. So when we would, uh-huh. when we would come, she would work with your mom and your dad in helping them get things ready, plan meals, how to how to config, configure some some better signs, how to make the garage more usable, how to make the house more usable. And my role was to help implement that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of those legacies of her personality and you know, I of uh, all the things that I miss about her, that's, you know, it's hard to imagine the summer without yeah. her around the cherry orchard. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that uh, Melissa and Ellen came and stayed at the cherry orchard? 
when they were young girls? Mm-hmm. I yeah, do. I do. And you know, I don't recall how often or for how long, but they would, and they would stay with your folks. We would drop them off on a weekend, um, um, go back the next week or even maybe two weeks. Um, yeah, I do. I, I know that they, they did. And it was, you know, it was kind of in the shoulder seasons, I would call it, before the big crowds came. So that they, yes. were, they were there along with their grandparents. Yes, right. Yeah. And hopefully I'll be able to talk to both of them and they'll have, if they have memories about that, they can tell me. At the Cherry Orchard nowadays, we have all kinds of different activities that people recall as bringing pleasure to themselves or to, to their, <laughs> to their uh, generation. Do you have certain things that bring you pleasure when you go to the cherry orchard? Well, I guess my, I view my, I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid that word pleasure for a minute, Judy. Okay. I guess I view, I, I, I view my purpose is to help with a lot of the work. Um, and there is a lot of work to, to harvest and process the cherries, if you know that 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 aspect of it, and then there's a lot of other parts around around that. So I feel an obligation to be there as as much as I can to kind of get all of that harvesting and processing done. And there's a lot of decisions to be made. Uh, you know, one of them is, and I always have an opinion on this, and we don't always agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Jim has a different opinion on when should we start picking the cherries, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and your and your dad has kind of stepped out from that role for uh-huh. the last several years, because <clears throat> once the decision is made to start harvesting, it's pretty hard to stop and then restart. <laughs> yes, right. And it's like it's, a conveyor belt. It's a balancing act. Is there enough people there to start doing the work? Is there enough people there to finish the work? Seems to be two goals. Well, there's probably more than two, but two primary goals on getting the cherries harvested. And one is to make a hundred or more gallons of wine. And so I'll describe just a little bit about that. It's picking the cherries and you can pick them without the stems. So they pick much quicker. You got to sort a few of them and then they go into these steamers and there's two of them on hot plates in the garage. And Jim is kind of the master on that, but but I help him when he's not fully awake or gone. I, I help oversee that to mm-hmm. get the ju- to get the juice made that then John takes and puts in the carboys and adds the yeast and the other additives to start the winemaking process. Yeah. But to make a hundred gallons of wine takes over a thousand pounds of cherries. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's hard to, to judge as the cherries are being picked. Is there going to be enough for that along with the other goal? is to be able to sell enough cherries to pay the taxes and qualify for the agricultural tax break. Right. <laughs> and I try and stay heavily involved in that and look at the trees along the gym and say, okay, how many cherries can we get off of that tree? And when should when are those going to be ripe? And so anyway, there's I, I like to be involved in that part of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't say that's a pleasure, but I feel like it's 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 important. Yeah. And Roy, how do you make the decision about when to pick the cherries? Well, <laughs> we, we now have a more scientific process and Steve Quarles mm-hmm. has been involved in that. And I can't remember the name of the instrument, but it's a pretty simple little device where you take cherry juice 
you put it on a little glass prism and you look through it and it comes up with a number, which I can't remember what that number is called. And so if the numbers get high enough, that means the cherries are getting riper. Huh. So we've, we've learned to go around and sample the cherries off the trees with that little, little meter and mm -hmm. try and guess if that, if, if that number is high enough, if they look ripe enough and if they taste sweet enough then to, but they don't all ripen at the same time. So that's right. the, other, that's the yeah. other, challenge, other challenge. Yeah. So. Yes. Right. And there are a couple trees, aren't there that are uh, picked first or considered riper first? So most of the trees in the orchard are Lamberts and they were the original trees in the orchard. And three of those trees are referred to as pollinators. And then I'll, I'll come back to that. And then okay. your dad planted three more trees, I don't know, at least 20 years ago on the upper mm -hmm. part of the, of his property. Lappin. Lappins. Thank you, Judy. And then there are two trees of Royal Anne's. And then he has various other fruit trees in the orchard, apples, mm -hmm. apricots, and pears. And... So those pollinator trees are very important so that the bees, in order for the cherries to produce on the other trees, they have to gather the pollen off of those pollinator trees. And as they fly into the blossoms on the other trees, it, it pollinates those blossoms that, okay. that allow, allows them to, to form cherries. So those pollinator trees usually get picked first because they're smaller, they're better for wine than for selling or eating, but and they ripen and they ripen sooner. Okay. Lots of details. So I don't know. Lots of details. What, yeah. 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 That we haven't talked about before. You're going to get back to uh, the the number of cherries that we pick for the cherry stand. Well, that's. You know, that's the second main objective is to be able to sell enough cherries. And, and they're usually sold at the cherry stand in smaller quantities. But um, some years, John has found um, friends and neighbors that want to buy lugs. Well, and then the, and the other use of the cherries is those that, that um, get um, used by friends and relatives, you know, for personal use. Yes. Um, and the making of jam and jelly. Um, right. Fruit leather, uh, cherry leather, uh, drying. Uh, yeah, so there's 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 quite a bit of uses, and it's a juggling act, I think. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And do you think it's um, also, you were saying that the factors are uh, when the cherries are the, the most ripe, the, the most ripe cherries make the best wine, or it's thought they make the best juice for wine, maybe, the most has the most sugar content. True. And do you do you think that the discussion, you know, it seems like it's never totally agreed upon, has to do with, well, how many people are going to be here? Like you said, we need pickers and we need processors. We need people up at the stand. So sometimes it's uh, just a factor of who, how many people are at the, the orchard. That's true. And so that reminds me of a um, and I can't tell you exactly when years, but there's been at least a couple of years where the the people, the crew, the workers, the family members that are all there are gone. <laughs> and there's still cherries on the trees. And I remember one year it was just Jim and your dad and I um, oh, yeah. trying to continue to, to pick. Oh, Jim doesn't go sell cherries. So, and your dad doesn't much either. So I would 
I would help, I would do the picking, we'd sort, Jim would try and keep the wine going, I'd go up and sell cherries. And then I remember one year, I was the only, and I can't remember, I couldn't tell you why, but I was the only one there a day or two, yeah. Oh. And so I remember one day, I I picked myself probably early in the morning, probably picked 50 pounds of cherries and then sorted them, bagged them and went up the rest of the day at the cherry stand to, to sell what we what we could, what I could. So there are there are times when, uh, but then there's the opposite, like last year, where there weren't enough cherries that ripened uh, right. for various, various reasons. So there was a lot of people with that would have liked to have been involved in picking and processing, and there just wasn't cherries available. So it's it varies. Yeah, and that's yeah. always an unknown. And your dad always tries to set the date of when the cherries are going to be ripe based on the uh, when the cherry trees are in full bloom at a certain day in the spring, and he makes mm-hmm. that determination. And then he projects into the summer, and it usually, usually comes up with around July 18th or July 20th. Yeah, I think he was saying it's 70-some days and after full bloom. So he he can set that pretty regularly and pretty consistently based on looking at the records from the past yep. uh, 40 years or 30, 37 years. So I know what you were going to get back to, Roy. You were going to get back to something that you, besides the things that you're obligated to do, that to get, to make sure that all the work gets done. What I enjoy? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll tell you, I don't enjoy all of that cherry work so much. It's, I feel to me, it's more like an obligation and I think it's quite important. So I do enjoy sitting under the canopy or, or on the garage driveway in our recliners with, with uncle Jim and your dad, who is my, you know, I, he's been my father much longer than my, my real father. So to, to me, he's my dad. Yeah. So, yeah. So with Dad, John, and Jim, I enjoy sitting in our recliners in the afternoon. We usually start drinking wine early or cocktail. <laughs> and, and often it often it evolves into old time forest service stories about who who knew who when and where people worked and yeah. Yeah, I enjoy that. And you, I mean, because you also worked for the Forest Service, you knew some of the same people or you knew of some of the same people that both dad and Jim may have worked with or knew from their past as well, right? There were That's a number of crossover people that you um, that you knew. So that was, that's always been interesting to me, the next generation of, of and the, the last, right? Because you're the, you really are the last Forest Service uh, generation in our family and uh, yeah right right yeah and our and our work periods were different you know I worked um, not directly but indirectly for dad John in in salmon when Jamie and I met and got married so yeah, yeah. so yeah. we have we have good memories that we could share yeah that's great that's great Roy did your mom ever come to the lake uh no I'm pretty sure not no, you don't think so. I'll have to check the black book. Oh, okay. <laughs> See if Bertha ever was there. When did she pass away? My mother, Bertha Grant, um, died, I believe, in 2006. Okay. How about any of your 
either of your brothers have they ever been there uh no i don't think so no except for maybe for uh, uh, melissa's wedding oh uh, yeah that's a good point judy um yeah so melissa was married at uh some summers, summers like right. yeah not like said summers in the summer uh-huh. in 2001 she okay. was married one you know uh-huh. i'm guessing my brothers were there so i don't but i don't recall them if they, if they were then they may have passed through and saw the orchard Right. I don't remember that they were stay, stayed there necessarily, although they may have stayed like in Lakeside or something or yeah. um, and then maybe enjoyed her rehearsal dinner with us or something like that, but weren't necessarily involved right. in all the processing of the cherries and the picking and all of that uh, right. work that yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. they were there for a celebration. For yeah. 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 So good uh, reminder. Good. Yeah. reminder. Let's see. How about the other things at the lake have you did you teach melissa and ellen how to water ski or uh did you go out on the boat fishing with dad well over the years uh you know when there's a a lot of people there i don't do too much down in the water Uh, other times uh, like i said we we would go spend weekends or long long weekends or other periods there off and on and so yeah, I've I've uh, I've gone fishing with your dad. Uh, back when the fishing was better, it was more fun. <laughs> and there's just like three or four of us, and and I enjoy going out in the evening in the motorboat and and cruising along the lake and looking at people's properties. Yes, right. Um, and your dad got his sailboat. Uh, he and I and Steve Mickle went up to Summers, and sailed their boat back to his property um part of it was sailing and part of it was drifting the wind wasn't very <laughs> good it took us all day I remember wow that. wow um i water ski but i have not done that a lot in in a few years uh, i don't recall teaching my girls to water ski it might have been somebody else like your brother john uh, did you ever go over to wild horse yes uh, I've gone over with in the boat with others and walked walked the island. I've canoed over there. Wow! Um, I remember Logan and I canoed over there a few years ago, just the two of us. Uh, I enjoy going over there and walking the island and looking at the wild horses and uh, there's huge mule deer and uh, the sheep. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy that. Do you swim? I'm not a strong swimmer um i don't like cold flathead lake to swim in much (laughs) (laughs) you know i'll go down to the dock on a sunny warm day and get in and get out but (laughs) it's funny my think of my mom too her wading out do you remember that she would wade out because she wasn't a strong swimmer and never put her head under the water right but jamie did jamie swim uh jamie was not a a strong, you know, dive in and swim and swim and swim, if I recall. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. She, would, she would get in the water, water completely, dive in and then get back out. But I think she likes some more of those um, flo- floaty devices, <laughs> yeah. um, things that you could sit in next to the shore with a, with a drink. Yes. <laughs> and I think I do have some pictures of her with her granddaughters, um, particularly Jillian and Jasmine. 
um, at the water, you know, either they were in floaty devices or all three of them were in floaty devices, but just drifting around, you know, the right. dock. Yeah. So here's some, here's some memories that, that I'll, I'll bring up and a few people will remember. So <laughs> I, I was more medically trained than most of the people that show up at the lake. And yeah. so I got, I got, over the years, I got involved in quite a few injuries and <laughs> illnesses. <laughs> so here's some specifics, and I won't be able to tell you when. But, um, and you will, you will recall some of this too. Yes, yes. So there was one year where Woody got bitten in the hand by his dog. And it yes, was, yes. It was, it was not life-threatening, but... But it was kind of a serious injury, and I looked at it and convinced him and the others that we really had to go to the doctor. So I remember going with Udi, and I think it was just the two of us into Kalispell to the emergency room. Yes. Where they x-rayed and disinfected and cleaned it, and I probably put some sutures in it. He'll, he'll know the details. Yes. So I remember that, but here's another good one that nobody's mentioned, and probably not very many people know. <laughs> So when Chloe was kind of a younger child, <laughs> somehow a bead got stuck in her nostril. <laughs> so I was called, oh, Roy, come, come help. You know, what are we going to do? Well, I couldn't, I wasn't going to probe and poke that bead up higher. <laughs> no. So her mother, Mary, and Chloe and I, I drove and we went to Polson to the emergency room. Oh, my they probed and poked and they made her cry. They made it bleed and went, did way, way too much and still couldn't get it out. So from there, we drove to Missoula and they called into the emergency room in St. Pat's Hospital. They called in an ear, nose, throat specialist. And this guy showed up and he was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and he pulled out his little suction tool and popped that bead out of there. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we, I, I drove us all back and we got back fair, you know, I'm pretty sure it was late, 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 night, yeah. late at night. Yes. So that was kind of a very trying experience for Chloe. Yes. My <laughs> yeah. gosh. I don't know how old she was. We'll have to find out about that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really spoken to her <laughs> recently about that. And then more seriously, Aunt Dolores was a diabetic we found her unresponsive in her bedroom. And so she was in a diabetic emergency and it's, you can't tell if she's low on sugar or low on insulin. So I called 911, got the ambulance coming and then I maintained her airway cause you don't want them to choke. And so you gotta, uh -huh. you know, you gotta keep their, their mouth open. And yeah, I, I even tried a little bit of um, jelly or some kind of sugar just in her lip to try and, see if that was going to help. So then I maintained her till the AMS got there, helped them assess her, um, do a glucose check. It started an IV and then they, they, they took her to the hospital. I mean, I don't remember, you know, she came out fine, but uh -huh, uh -huh. I remember that. I do remember once when I got called over, I don't know how I got notified or John got notified, but his neighbor was having a heart attack. Oh my goodness. And I got called over there there wasn't a lot I could do other than kind of, uh, you know, assess and keep the person stable until the helicopter showed up, up by Craig, where Craig lives, up 
as you're coming down off the highway in that yeah. field. Yeah. Um, so I remember that. And then there's been several mi- more minor things. Um, but Roy, were you there when Grandma Bell had her uh, stroke? You know, I don't believe I was, Judy. I don't, because I don't recall that. No. Yeah. I, I think there was some helicopter was called in for that as well. And yes. it was too windy. As I just recall the story. I'll have to ask Dad about the particulars. Jack recalled that they were doing a boat ride out on the lake and came back and there were lights. He remembers the lights, you know, at, at dark. He would have been seven or eight years old. Uh, I heard him talking about that. So okay. I, don't rec- I don't recall being there. Okay. Right I was going to say, I think you repaired a number of... Um, you know, toe cuts or, you know, when people, kids would fall down during a game and cut their legs or, you know, I'm, you are forever being called to help with that or slivers. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it was just an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Cut that, cut, cut that toe off. <laughs> well, so thank I was, goodness. I, was, yeah. I just was going to add that. So over the many years that we were there, Part of the time when I was still working full time for the Forest Service, my my time at the lake was more limited. But then even after even after that, I was on call by the Forest Service to get to respond to work on wildfires as part of an incident management team. So there were times at the lake when I was there that I would have to leave suddenly, and more often it was in August than July. Right. So that was part of my experiences when I was there. Was suddenly I'd have to be gone. You were on call the, that during the summer for periods of time, correct? Yes. And so you weren't ever sure if you were going to get pulled from the orchard to have to go some other place to work on a fire. Yes. Yeah. It hasn't been that long since you stopped doing that, Roy. Really? Has uh, it been maybe three yeah. or four years? I gave that up about three years ago. Yeah, not that long ago. Wow. Also, then you also have a companion now that you bring to the lake. Would you tell us a little bit about Dixie and when she first came to the lake? Well, certainly. So I have a a, a friend, uh, Dixie Dees. Um, she and I worked together in the, on the Forest Service, and um, she lost her husband several years ago. And so since, um, since I became um, a widowed, uh, Dixie and I enjoy each other's company. We travel together. We've taken trips together. So Dixie has come with me to the lake probably two or three times. Um, she doesn't like being there with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, lets her stay. And she'll be, she'll be back. Great. Um, <laughs> and, you know, even when I'm there for two or three or four weeks or longer, I, I will leave for a day or two and go back to Hamilton, where I live now, to take care of my lawn and my nail and then go back up. So. I seem to recall that sometimes just because of the sheer numbers of people that uh, Jamie would sometimes want to just escape. It wasn't, you know, just to do uh, yard work in her own house or take care of things in her own town. It was sometimes there were just too many people there and it was hard to it's kind of hard to manage and uh, yeah i'm sure you're right judy and i won't speak to jam for jamie on that but i'll speak for myself i do get kind of overloaded with large numbers of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there on on that relatively small property and so i am i value my private space and so 
you know, Jamie and I, we had a we had a pull trailer that we would come stay in at the lake, and then we had a, a, a medium sized motorhome, and then now I have a fifth wheel trailer that Jamie and I got, and um, so I value when I'm there with that, it be, it becomes my private space. Yeah, and to, I that helps me. I yeah. Yeah. it gives me a place to go, get away by myself, and I know I, I know you're kind of that way too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. In fact, for me, sometimes just the, you know, knowing that there's 40 family members there, that that doesn't draw me there as it might for other people. You know, talking with other people, it's really yeah interesting to hear how that's, you know, the draw that they that, like it, to be there for that kind of social gathering. So. You know, it's a draw for me because I like I like seeing all of the Emerson relatives um, and um Jamie and I, we would go visit relatives individually when we could, even across the country. And we traveled a lot with John and Marion on some of those trips. But but the the best opportunity is when everybody shows up there together. Yeah. So I, I do I do value that. But after a while, I need I need to get I need to get away. <laughs> That's what and Andrew talked about that too. You know that it's a little can be a little chaotic. So. I'll comment some of the other things that people do while they're there. Um, that I don't really participate in. Like, you have to drive quite a, quite a ways for a long day to fly fish. Yes. Um, to go up to Glacier Park, to go pick huckleberries late in the evening. I I don't get much value in those because where I live, I can I can go to Glacier Park early spring or late fall when there's not very many people or not. There's a lot of other places I can see countries similar to that. When we lived in Libby, we would go over there sometimes on our own. So I don't have a lot of need to go to Glacier Park. I can go much closer places where I live to go fishing as often as I want. And the huckleberry picking, I, I enjoy that some, but <laughs> the perspective is when we lived in Libby and we would pick huckleberries. The berries were three times as big. Yeah. And yeah. Much, much, you could pick lots of berries in a short period of time. We would often go over um, up the river from Hungry Horse and camp, and there were places there that you, they, they were prolific. So that's what I enjoyed compared to the, the place where we can go out of the cherry orchard there now where Sometimes it's pretty sparse and it takes a lot of people picking for quite a while to get a few berries. So I just don't do that much. Well, that's interesting, too, when you live in that area, right? I mean, essentially, you live in northwestern Montana or western Montana, I guess. You know, you have these opportunities that people from around the, the country don't don't have Certainly, or yeah. don't or don't take the opportunities because some of it is just knowing uh, as Jack talked about, you know, you know, you're going to be there for a week and. Right. You know, how, do, how are you going to use your time? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll conclude with, with one other thing, Judy. Unless you okay. Have so one of my, my most memorable times, excuse me, I'll get to this, um, was, was Jamie's last summer. Mm. Yeah. And so she had the opportunity oh. to get chemo treatments in Polson. And we both wanted to be uh, close to her dad and then be able to go into Prestige and see your mom. Yeah. So we moved our 
our fifth wheel trailer up there and we spent most of four months there. Wow. Yeah. That was the summer of 2014. So that was just a a real special time. Yeah. It it was fortunate because I could take her into Paulson probably, I think about three days a week for, for chemotherapy. And so she didn't have to be in Hamilton or Missoula to do that. Yeah. 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 And she got to be in the beautiful on the beautiful Flathead Lake. I think the most important was she could be close to her dad. Thank you, Roy. Thank you for being willing to discuss the cherry orchard, but number sure. one, but also for sharing that. That was a precious memory of yours. So it's so nice to, to hear you talk about that. Yeah, you bet. I will say goodbye. And Roy, thank you so much again. My pleasure, Judy. Thank you. Um, Roy is the oldest member of Generation 2, and he shared some special memories from the orchard. If you have some stories to share about the cherry orchard, let me know. Thanks for listening. Until next time.